On this week's Bet the Process podcast, Rufus and I welcome in accomplished author, many-time author, too many times for him to even count to us, Ed Miller, who just came out with a new book on sports betting. And then we talk a little bit about, or at least I try to talk to Rufus about some of the challenges with officiating. And also we talk about our reactions to Ed's interview and give you a couple picks. So with that, let's start the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Bet, bet. Bet, bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. Welcome to another episode of the Bet the Process podcast where Rufus is a happy 39 year old something like no that, i'm not 39 sure. i'm not 39 how old are you 38 38 wait i thought next year was your 40th it's only two years to your 40th you have two years so that's why i was impressed when you said you want to plan my 40th birthday i was like wow i can't believe how young you are that is that is some youngness uh how was your week it sounds like you had a great weekend with the fam i did it was Fantastic. I, I probably overdid it a little bit though. I mean, I Thursday, Friday and Saturday night. So I've been kind of recovering, taking it easy to start the week. I'd love to talk to you about some football, but I know you didn't really watch any football. So it would be, it's tough to, to actually ask you, but the, the latest thing right now is, I don't know if you followed any of this officiating. The officiating has been terrible this year. And I'm not sure if it's just like this, you know, it's just everyone's talking about it. And because Twitter's so noisy, you just kind of notice it more or whether the officiating is actually really bad. But the, you know, the the Eagles game, I think the Eagles-Dolphins game, it was a huge disparity in terms of penalties. I, we should probably check this, but I'd read something on Twitter. It was like 10 to nothing or something like that. Like the Eagles had no penalties called them or on them or something crazy like that. And then, go ahead. Well, I, want, I want to interrupt. I think there should be more games probably where one team has 10 penalties called against them. I think there's a tendency of refs to try to like give the perception of fairness by equalizing it. And I think I, I remember actually it was one of the first analyses I ever did just for fun um, in college. I was just like, I was interested in college basketball officiating bias and there's, and there are more like you would expect a greater dispersion of like foul difference and different number of foul calls th than you actually get. It's like, it's like the officials will change this, have a different standard to call on one team than another. If it's being, if one team's committing more fouls, just because otherwise it's quote seems unfair, but like it's, it's entirely possible that one team is like, is actually holding every play and another team isn't right. Or yeah. one team is contacting downfield on receivers all the time. And the other team isn't. So to me, the fact that it was 10, nothing doesn't say much. Sorry. All right. Well, it was 10, nothing. I just double checked it. The end of the um, Rams game, the Rams Steelers game, they uh, the Steelers went for it on fourth down to basically end the game, and um, they went for quarterback sneak and Pickett fell and didn't get to the line to gain, but they gave him this very favorable spot, and they had no ability to review it because it was outside of two minutes and because um, he had no timeouts left. McVeigh had no timeouts left, and so it was this sort of horrible 
end to a game where it just was pretty obvious from the video that he didn't get to the line to gain, but they had nothing to do there. And, um, and then in the other, the other game that I noticed, at least India Indianapolis had a couple of challenging pass interferences. One where the ball literally, it, it, I think the, Cousin Sal said if it was Shaq standing on top of Victor Wembayama, the guy wouldn't have been able to catch the ball in the end zone, and they called it pass interference. You know, the the not catchable thing, they never call it, and it it seems like in some of these balls, like when they're like 15 feet out of bounds, I don't know. It's it's uh, officiating has been tough to watch. So you you haven't noticed it. I mean, it feels like every year people complain the officiating's worse. Maybe it's time to have an official on. We talked about doing that, and maybe we should really have an official on now. We could get, we might be able to get Mike Pereira. Yeah, He's I think we get, player. we might be able to get Mike Carey too, who is yeah. obviously a retired, a retired official. Um, and Mike called. Pereira. What's that? I, I hung out with Mike Pereira after uh, in in Vegas before. So. <laughs> there you go. Well, do you actually have his contact info? Because that might be helpful. I can. I, I may. I may. I'll, I'll have to look. Actually, I think I might have it on my phone. Do you have any? You you don't even look at futures anymore, huh? NFL um, I, futures? I do occasionally. No, I haven't for college. Where where are you on the futures in the NFL? Are you thinking? Um, you know, obviously this has been an interesting shift because if two weeks ago, after the Niners demolished um, the Cowboys, it looked like the Niners were the favorites, and now they've lost two games in a row. They're a little bit beat up and it, it looks like it's either now Philly or even Kansas city looks like they're kind of back and their defense is very good. Any thoughts in the NFL? Um, I have not run. I haven't run the Sims yet this week. So not really, by the way, I do not have my career in my phone. Sadly. <laughs> That's too bad. I think I do have my carry in my phone. So maybe we can ask Mike carry if he comes on, if he wants to come on. Um, we also should start talking some more golf. I kind of want to get back to golf. Um, we've been very, very football focused recently, and I'm sort of OD'd on football a little bit. We also have a, a interesting podcast coming up. I don't know if it's going to be next week or the week after with uh, Keith White from the National Council for Problem Gambling. And that's that's one I'm I'm actually really, really excited about. That will be a good one to have him on for. So I think it's going to be one of, one of, if not our best, I just have a feeling. Awesome. Well, should we welcome in Ed Miller who we have on, who's going to be talking about his new book? Let's do it. All right. We're now going to welcome in Ed Miller and then we'll talk to you guys all again on the other side. We now welcome in to the bet the process podcast, Ed Miller, Ed, an accomplished author. How many times now? Uh, a lot. <laughs> I don't know how many are, are accomplished, but they, there's a, maybe a smaller number that are accomplished. But hey, can we a ask fair number of books. before we start talking about this book? Can we ask where it ranks in your in your literary achievements? I, I mean, do I have literary achievements? Well, I, I think it's a good book. I'm happy rankings? with it. What's your power rankings of the books you've written? Oh man, uh, it's 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 it's. I'm happy with it because I feel like I'm getting. I feel like with every book, I'm a better writer. I don't know that the 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 contents of the book they're mixed, but I feel like the the writing is on a steady improvement. So I don't know; it's easily top half for that reason. That's my opinion. You're a true so, politician. For our seven listeners, um, some of which may not have heard of you, uh, give What's me a little, y'all? give us a little background on on who Ed Miller is and what motivated you to write this book, and give yourself a little shout out on the book. Sure. So my kind of, well, my gambling background is I um, 
was in poker. So I started in poker 20 years ago, um, played full-time for a while, and then uh, transitioned to writing because uh, it turns out I'm like writing and <laughs> I don't necessarily like spending all night every night playing poker but uh writing is a lot more chill so yeah so I I wrote a bunch of books about poker strategy and then in 2015 uh I transitioned to sports via DFS I just thought DFS was getting huge and um wanted to win some money so uh that's how I got into sports I quickly met I guess re-met an acquaintance named Matthew Davidow. Um, he had been in sports a lot longer than that. Um, he, he's been doing sports stuff for as far as I know his entire life, basically. We started basically combining on projects at that point. Uh, and the main projects that I worked on were building in-play models for the major American sports. So football, uh, NFL and college, baseball, and then basketball, NBA, and college uh, were the main models we built. So that's basically what I've done in sports for the last eight years. Uh, we did that first kind of with an eye toward the betting side. And then when the PASPA thing happened, uh, we decided to start a company to make uh, in-play odds using those models and sell them to operators. So that's my background. So I'm going to jump into one thing and then Rufus, I know you've, you read the book cover to cover. So you have a lot of, um, a lot of thoughts on this. One, one of the interesting things that I thought about and, and have heard David Ao talk about it a little bit on Twitter is this idea of where some of the edges come in, um, in play modeling and where ultimately like one of the things that's so cool about the book is like this general approach of sort of finding where a modern sports book might be weak. And this idea of in play, specifically at the end of games and right. when there's sort of these, you know, edge cases and there's an understanding of how teams, you know, behave and maybe differently than what a model that, that was modeled by the sports book might tell you, how should the average better think about that? Because ultimately aren't a lot of those situations, because as you've said, they're hard to model and there's not a lot of sample size for that. H how do you guys think about attacking that and having an edge over what the sports book might've done? Right. So the hardest Part of the in-game modeling is the end of game. This is true in every sport, every sport we've done. And I feel like it's universally true. It has to be almost, um, you know, and this is so in football and baseball, like in baseball, for instance, you know, all the relief pitching, a lot of those guys have tiny samples, you know, you don't necessarily know who's going to be brought in, you know, and just kind of nailing that gives you an edge over someone who didn't nail it. Same with uh, football, you know, obviously there's, large strategic decisions and and um you know a lot of leverage in in you know a potentially small number of plays and how coaches treat those situations varies how the teams are constructed you know it, at the beginning of the game you don't necessarily worry oh is this team good at like in college for instance i mean it comes up huge at college you know that there are the teams that have kind of passing offenses and the teams that have more rushing offenses and you know, at the beginning of the game, you know, the offense, you might summarize it and say, oh, well, they're X good, you know, X efficiency offense, right? But then if they happen to be down one score late in a game, that it's it's now different whether they are a passing offense or a rushing offense. So, you know, same in basketball. Basketball, I, I think it's maybe less so, but I mean, there's fouling strategies, you know, how the teams will foul at the end of games and stuff matters a lot. 
toward the end of the game. So our focus, you know, on the in-play modeling was always let's nail all of the end of game scenarios as closely as possible. And let's allow, you know, whoever's running the model to change inputs that, you know, if like we have inputs that say, you know, more of a passing team or running team, the inputs that say, you know, just all the different input, everything I just said, you know, basically we have in the model ways to control how the model treats the situations. Anyone who didn't do all, it's a ton of work, right? So anyone who didn't do all that work is going to be instead using league averages for those situations, right? So instead of saying, oh, we have the teams down by seven, but they're going to be particularly efficient on this drive because X, they're just going to be using some league average efficiency, you know, for that drive. And so they're going to be wrong about you know, scoring chances and stuff. And and that's the same way with all this stuff, is, is if you don't go to the trouble to enumerate all this stuff that matters at the end of the game, you know, what do you default to? You default to league average. And the league average is, <laughs> like Matt and I would say, league average is never the right answer, right? It's always wrong. So that's what I would say. So it's, it's interesting. You talk about these, having these sort of tools that are customizable for, for the trader. And... Uh, just now, but what's interesting in the book, you talk a lot about how sports books are kind of hamstrung by the fact that they do not have these types of tools typically from their content providers. Right. Uh, and and so I think I, I went into this book thinking like most people, sharp betters, I guess, do that, you know, I wish sports books didn't have to limit so much. And I came away from it with the, an appreciation of why it's kind of necessary in a lot of cases because because of how difficult it is to run a sports book and fit all these pieces together. Um, and so do you want to kind of, um, for the listeners that have not yet read the book, kind of talk through how the modern sports book works? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, if you go... so. We draw a distinction in the book. I, I call it modern sports book. I don't love that terminology, but it's, you know, it's what I came up with. I mean, some people call it soft book, but I don't, I don't think that's, I don't like that term either. So, but it's sort of like in contrast to the market making kind of style of sports booking. So the, the modern sports book is, you know, we don't name brands in the book, but you could figure out who we're talking about. They're the ones that have the enormous betting menu. You go to the website and there's, you know, 2000 bets you could bet on so-and-so to hit two RBIs, so-and-so to hit three RBIs, so-and-so to hit four RBIs, you know, all that, all that stuff, right? So technologically, these things are actually sort of modern marvels. I mean, I, I come, they're definitely tech products, right? Like the original, I think a lot of people still think of sportsbook industry as like primarily a, a people or a numbers thing, but th these are technology products. I mean, this is primarily software that does everything and then and then there are some tools that expose, like I was saying, like some things where humans can kind of add, but mostly it's software. And if the software does it great, and if it doesn't, then it just doesn't, right? So these things are built from software pieces that are often owned by different companies. So there's like the betting engine, which is the basic piece of software that knows this is what a betting market is. This is how you result a betting market. When you result a betting market, money gets awarded here, you know, it, it's sort of like the skeleton of how, what does it mean to book sports, right? And it's the software that kind of does that. And then there's the player account management software, which is what keeps track of who the customers are, how much money they have in their accounts, you know, make sure that's all perfect, right? And keeps track of information about customers, keeps track of, 
you know, all the everything if they have to do KYC or any of that stuff, you know, kind of keeps track of that. It's those about the 18 million laws and jurisdictions. <laughs> These companies were <laughs> operate in like dozens and dozens of different jurisdictions and each one of them has weird crazy rules about how you have to behave to operate in that jurisdiction so this software has to know about that stuff so does the betting platform software both of these have to have this all the focus so you have these two pieces and you put those two pieces together great you still don't have any bets you don't you still don't you don't even know oh i'm got the bears game this weekend like it doesn't know about that it's just kind of the infrastructure so then you need a, a third piece which basically brings all, in all the content or information that goes into the betting software um and that was that's what our company did our company supplied you know betting content to operate our still supplies you know betting content to to operators like that so it, it, its job is to fill the betting menu with things you can bet on with prices and, and and so forth so now there's no our company does american sports we don't do darts um so if you want to offer football you can contract with our company and we will fire hose you <laughs> a million different football lines but if you want darts you know i mean we would basically say if you really want it, let's sign a contract and we'll get back to you, you know, and we'll, and we would build it. Right. So if, if that company wanted darts today, they'd have to go somewhere else is, is the bottom line. So, so basically in order to fill these menus with all the crazy stuff they want to fill it with, they have to contract not with one company, but with multiple different companies to fill their sports book with content. basically. So that, that's the, that's the basic idea for how they work. Well, and then you have, the data feeds coming in too, right? Right. As well as yeah. the, the quote, deep, the depth uh, content providers. Right. So the, there's, a, there's a few content companies that, that we call them Brett's first content providers in the book, but their, their specialty is Brett's. They are the ones that cover Chinese basketball and, you know, whatever, all the other stuff you see on these menus where, you know, it's like, who's covering this who's betting this well there's like a couple companies that basically their goal is to offer it all and if you go to g2e and you go to their booth and you pick up their brochure their brochure on the front will say 200 bazillion thousand events per year right and that's their that's their primary selling point is we have every sporting event in the world with prices right and then there's companies like ours where we're not doing Chinese basketball. We're not doing darts. We're not doing, we're doing really only the major American sports at the moment. But our idea was we want to crush it with those sports. We want to, we want to have the sharpest pricing. We want to, you know, be able to offer, you know, in-game prices for higher limits with fewer suspensions with, you know, we basically wanted to crush it in a smaller area, right? So our company would qualify as, you know, what we describe in the book as a depth first content provider. You, you, so you set this up and say, this is how the sports book, modern sports book works, which the readers can sort of see, okay, this is why that there are some vulnerabilities there. Um, right. I, I personally loved how uh, how you all described how lines are, are made. I don't know if this made it into the final edit of the book, but it's a, a few Adderall addicted nerds yes, determining <laughs> the market <laughs> prices. Yeah. Right. So, so then there's the distinction. Okay. Well, what is our role? So, so in, 
if you follow sports betting, you know that sports betting is a market, right? And people talk about market pricing and how market, how it behaves like a market. And that is, that is definitely true. And so, so in, in, in the book, we're kind of talking about how that market works and <laughs> cause the people who participate in that market, a, a small handful of Adderall addicted nerds, which, you know, I don't know, I think it's fairly accurate. <laughs> Your mileage may vary. But yeah, the idea is that, you know, why is a, an NFL point spread what it is in the market? Well, it's because people bet it there, right? It's because there's sports books that take a bet from anyone and they put a line up and they allow people to bet it. They basically build their business around this and they move the line when, you know, they use the betting information to move the line and that, the, you know, the line basically reaches equilibrium. But this is only on the markets that the market making sports books offer and and they tend to offer a relatively limited number of lines on any particular event right so they'll offer on an nfl game a point spread a money line a total first half lines you know maybe an alternate here and there maybe a couple player props here and there um you know and that and that's basically the offering that actually has a market for it right where there's actually people betting like a betting market but the modern sports books don't want to offer 17 markets on a game they want to offer you know 300 markets on the same game right and they want to offer single game parlays on that game and they want to offer tons of markets in game right so these all these thousands of of bets they want to offer that aren't offered by the market have to be priced and how does that happen well it happens from a model it happens exactly the way our company does it which is you know, someone like me, <laughs> no matter what you think of me, you know, while I wrote a, a model, which is just math, that basically takes information about the game and some of that information comes from the market and does math and comes up with prices for other things, prices for fourth quarters, prices for player props, prices for alternate spreads okay i mean i know at unabated y'all have a tool that says okay well if the if the pregame line is six and a half then you know here's what 14 and a half should be priced i don't know how y'all do that but i know how we would model right just like you exactly you you have different math that does that right different yeah and maybe our math agrees maybe it doesn't but either way it's just math right it's your math you did some math i did some math you know there's no my point is there's no magic there right there's no there's no, there's no wisdom of the crowds there is the point. Right. There's no market. There's no market, right? Who's to say your, who's to say your math is right or wrong. I don't know. You're a smart guy. You probably did some pretty good math. Maybe I'm smart guy. I did good math. Maybe I'm dumb. I did bad math. I mean, but, but that's where it starts and ends is the point. And so, you know, and, and really that pricing is only as good as the math that you do on it. And, and then when you're building the stuff, you're not necessarily thinking about every edge case. You don't cover every edge case. And edge cases oh, yeah. are, you know, they happen constantly in sports. And, you know, it's if you don't try to tackle them. I mean, I think one of the things that we did that made our pricing so successful over the last few years is just the enormous amount of time. I mean, it, you know, I think we built a good model. I think my math was pretty good. But the reason why our prices, in my opinion, were very strong is we have a whole trading team devoted to basically digging up every edge case we can find in all the sports we cover on a day-to-day basis and trying to figure out how to include that, how to account for that, at least in some way, right? Because if you 
there's a big difference between accounting for some kind of edge condition in some way versus not accounting for it at all. And when you're offering bets and as long as you try to account for it in some way, it becomes way, way harder to, to beat you. And I mean, look, I know personally modeling edge cases has been, is the thing that I'm, I'm worst at. And I, I don't put that much time into it because I know that they happen very rarely, but at the same time, for me, the downside of maybe placing a losing bet or, or not placing a, a bet at all, isn't that high compared to if you're a sports There's book. no downside because you don't have to There's bet no it. Downside. That's, that's the whole sense. difference between being on the exactly. betting side and being on the operator side. When you're on the and betting so, side, if there's an edge case and you're like, I don't account for this, well, you just don't bet it. <laughs> I mean, it's it's easy, you exactly. know? Whereas whereas when, when you're on the operator side, I mean, you have to put lines up for everything. And so, and so, and there's some people who are only going to bet you when you are wrong. <laughs> so you, make, you, yeah. you make this argument that, that, a situation favorable for the better is when instead of better against market, it's better against model Correct. where the model does not have time to price discover such as in-game betting, such yep. as Google game parlays. And you also give a, 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 a illustrate a, a ton of strategies to, uh, to try to try to bet these things without immediately getting the ax. Yeah, exactly. So I think something that might surprise people about in-game is there's much, like people talk about in-game markets. I hear this all the time. People talk about it in the industry all the time. Oh, the market price this, the market price that. They talk about it like there's a, there's there's not a market. <laughs> there's no in-game market. It's it's essentially non-existent even for the major American sports. There's there's a you know there's the number of people who try to bet it. Like most serious bettors, pretty much still stick to pre-game. For, for various reasons, you know, that, you know, are valid. I don't think they're like wrong for this behavior. I think they're behaving, you know, in a way that makes sense for how they can best make money. But the reality is that there, there aren't a lot of people betting during the game, tr seriously. So there's not a lot of market information. There is some. You need to be willing to take bets to even get the market information, right? Like a, a lot of places are kind of have a reputation for not allowing that kind of action well then you don't get the market information if you don't let people bet then you don't get the information the other thing is it's not necessarily always clear that they are right like a lot of the people that you know the beauty of the wisdom of the crowds is that it's a crowd right so let's say you know you put up a a pre-game nfl line right well there's there's lots of people that are looking at that line and trying to beat it right now, the higher the limits, the fewer that number gets. But, you know, when that opening line comes out, a ton of people are trying to beat those openers. And then, you know, as the as the limits go up, it becomes fewer and fewer people who are seriously trying to win in the market. But in-game, it's 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 really a small number, you know, and and any one of those people could be wrong. So a lot of a lot of my job was to look at people who I knew, look at bets from people who I knew were trying to beat us and try to decide whether I liked our number better or theirs, right? It's, it's, you're looking at like one person's opinion versus your opinion. And then the job is go back and figure out, you know, try to reverse engineer why they had that opinion. In a sports yeah. book, the traders are not, are not able, they don't have the ability to do what you're doing there. They're stuck with, they're, they're, they're seeing, oh, this person keeps betting such and such team. 
well, because it, well, especially because it's a black box. So if you're a trader at a sports book, then you're not the person who wrote the model, right? So you don't know what the model's assumptions are. You, if the price was, you know, minus eight and a half, well, you don't know why it's minus eight and a half because you didn't write the model. Right? So you know, it's I mean, probably some function of the pregame point spread, the total. Well, you do, but what's it's the math. Let's, so let's say, let's say it's the. But let's say there's something, yeah. right? Something's happened to materially change it. Like a, the team's left tackle is out with an injury, and right. somehow, like, and somehow, the model has not adjusted for that. What is and and you say in the book that these situations happen a lot more the further you get into the game, and especially also when you get into scenarios that where, where the sample of data just isn't as large. The models are in essence going to be wrong, but you have these models from different content providers, different third parties like Huddle um, right. and others, and they're all putting this information out to, to books. And they all have, as you said, they all have different numbers, yet these books end up adjusting a little bit so that so as not to try to like create huge arbitrage opportunities. They try to close arbs is what they do. That's That's by far the dominant behavior that I see. But they're doing that. They're and and when they're doing that, are they adjusting the model so that you know at, at the next game state, it's still going to be? It'll Typically, be yes. in that same yeah. way. So what they 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 seem to adjust the inputs would be what I see the behavior. So like, right. which sounds I mean, kind of crazy, right? It's like saying, okay, we're going to change this number from we're not getting the right output we want, so we're going to change the input to get to match the output. Right. Well, that's how it works. That's has. what they do. And then and then you know that's what? what and then do. but then in a different scenario. It could be completely different, it, like like the, just based on how that model was built. So it it makes it sound right. like it's not logically consistent, which is why oh. it's very exploitable for sure. Yeah. Yep. And then yep. one time, the one time you do get price discovery, really in in game betting, I guess, is half times. Yes. But then you 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 said that occasionally books yes. will go to the same model. Not like, occasionally, this happens all the time. I, I always used to laugh about this. So, you know, you're trading a game, right? And, you know, we, so we put halftime. I mean, I think our halftime numbers are, are good. Um, You know, consistently, I would say, you know, when other books put up, you know, openers at halftime that were off of our number, for sure, it tended to come toward us. But what you would see is a, a lot of, so, so, so we would see like, so we would kind of know, what the halftime number there's a, a slight arrogance here but just bear with me a little bit we would kind of know roughly where halftime was going to close most of the time you know just because our stuff is good and we would see in-game lines at other providers that were completely incompatible with that halftime closing right like if you say okay well if i know halftime is going to close here then this line that they have here with, you know, a minute and a half left in the second quarter is ridiculous. Makes, you know, it just is completely incompatible. So then, okay, well, that's a bad line. Fine. They go into halftime. They bring it. They usually bring the in. Well, sometimes they leave the in play up, you know, but often they suspend it and wait for the opener. They copy the opener. They basically copy the halftime market. But then the moment that the third quarter starts and the halftime market is over, they just turn the machine back on. The same machine that gave the, the nonsense line in the second quarter is now giving the, the, the line here at the beginning of the third quarter. So I see that all the time. So you do, you talk about later on in the book about how closing line value is 
a really, really quick way to, to, to limit your longevity to sports book. But if, if you're in play betting, let's say you, you know that with a minute to go in the second quarter, uh, you run your halftime model or you have your model and you say, okay, well, this is mispriced. Basically this book right. is mis is mispriced this because they're, they're not accounting for the information in the play by play, et cetera, that, you know, that I've used for my, they just do, I mean, just rate. to be clear, they just do the second yeah. quarter end of second quarter modeling completely wrong. Like it's just wrong. Like it's, but like, let's say, let's say someone notices that and then they, let's say you bet, you bet right before the end of the second half. Halftime line comes up. It turns out you got two and a half points of value there. Like they yeah. had a total that was 54 and a half. And guess what? Chris opens a 56 and a half. And then they moved to 56 and a half. Right. Is that, how bad is that for a better? I, well, I don't. So, so to be clear, I'm not, I don't know exactly uh, is my, is my blanket answer. I can speculate the, the, so what you're saying basically is if you bet the bad second quarter model, kind of knowing that the the halftime is going to like if basically you make the bet that I just talked about. Now the thing is there's no it's it's apples and oranges, right? It requires the sports book to make a to do their own modeling. It requires the sports book to figure out that that was in error. Does that make sense because Right, right, they're going to move it and and so it it looks but but it's that's not a closing line or anything like that, right? So right, because let's let's, let's the obvious say, error. Right, like let's say you bet cover. I mean, I'm just trying to think of what a good, good scenario. But let's say, let's say you bet over on a second quarter line, where they were pricing it like it was unlikely to be a score, and it was you thought it was highly likely to be a score based on, I mean, whatever, right? And then, sure enough, they scored at the end of the second quarter, and now there's a halftime line, right? So what you really did was you, you're not really betting the, the halftime CLV. You're betting the modeling error in the second quarter and they would have to be able to back that modeling error. Does that make sense? Like there's no way for them to say, Oh, you got like, there's no simple math they could do that says, Oh, you got over such and such. And it should have been at that time over that because, because what they're doing is that there's a modeling error that you took advantage of and, and they have to realize that and back that out, which is non-trivial. I mean, if they know there's a modeling error, they may or may not be able to fix it, but you know, they, but the, the, I, I think in a lot of these cases, they don't, they don't know. I mean, it's, it's hard for them to know there's a modeling error. Right. My point. Yeah. So, so, so there's a lot of holes in in-game stuff, which I think you argue that the average better, the best way to, to attack that isn't necessarily through modeling, but it's just through actually understanding the sport. To be clear, the best way to attack it is through well, modeling. Of course. But it, <laughs> to be clear, modeling. I, I wrote the book knowing that most people, were, if I wrote a book saying you have to build, you know, models for eight years to beat this stuff, they'd be like, well, great. Thanks, Ed. <laughs> so that's, yeah. What's your advice for someone who's not building an in-game model to exploit sportsbooks weak in-game lines? Right. So I, I would basically say just look for things that the models are seemingly not accounting for, Right. So I think it's a fair assumption that any in-game model for a major American sport, so again, any in-game line is made by a model. And the model is likely to default to league average, quote unquote, for any situationally relevant thing, right? So if you say, okay, I mean, just a quick example in baseball, let's say, you know, it's the eighth inning, 
and one team happens to have the two best eighth and ninth inning relievers in the whole league. It's entirely possible that that knowledge is not in the in-game line and that the in-game line is just kind of pricing them for your average eighth and ninth inning relievers for the league, right? That's entirely possible. It depends on how they made the model. You know, obviously, I mean, huddle prices <laughs> the specific pitchers, but for sure, not everybody prices specific pitchers. I mean, I've seen tons right. of in-game lines where it's obvious that's the error they made. So can we, would you still distill it down to think about things that a model, it's going to be really hard for a model to accurately incorporate? Yeah, anything anything that's relevant, especially toward the end of a game. And, and we focus on the end of the game because the, it's high leverage, right? Like at the beginning of a game, A, there's a market that aids in the pricing, right? The pregame market aids in the pricing. And B, the fact that they've mispriced these relievers is just a small part of the whole picture, right? They have an entire game to play until they get to that point. Whereas... Mm -hmm. When you get to the end of the game, now that's essentially the only relevant factor is how good these relief pitchers are going to be. Can we pivot a second away from in-game and talk about uh, same-game, single-game parlays a little bit? Sure. Because I, I I find these fascinating, and and it just seems like they're – I wouldn't be able to price them all. Um, it, pricing, you know, you knowing the correlation between a particular wide receiver one and the wide receiver three on that team – um, is, you know, those, there's so many team specific things that are going to vary and it's, it just building a, a model or I guess a simulation and having the output of simulations that properly accounts for this seems absolutely impossible. And so, um, yeah, I mean, cer certainly the more, <laughs> the more options you add to the menu, the more difficult the test. And, and as I pointed out in the book, it's exponential, right? Like every time you add another one more option, you've like doubled, you know, you've increased the number of combinations exponentially, right? So, so for, let's say you, you're the same person who asked about getting an edge on in-game um, without a model, right? they want to attack same game parlays. Right. What's, what's, what's your, what's the single biggest piece of advice? So I would say, so, so, so the way the single game parlay, it, it, it works differently, but I think going forward, I've seen num a number of, I don't know what the first single game parlay models look like, the, how the math works. But I think going forward, I've seen enough companies say they're going to use a simulation-based approach that I think it's I think it's fair to assume going forward that you're likely to be um, having these priced on the back end by a simulation. So what does that mean? That means that the, the, the content company that provides the pricing for the single game parlay, to be clear, you know, if you go to Sportsbook X Y to Bet Beaver, <laughs> this is our sportsbook in the in the book. There was Bet you, Beaver Bet too, though. There's Beaver I, Bet and Bet Beaver. Yes, yes. Those are the two two competitors. Um, so you go to Bet Beaver and you go to their you know football single game parlay, and they're going to have a list of options. Well, it's entire it's 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 likely that that pricing is not actually done by Bet Beaver. It's likely that that Bet Beaver is contracted with a con a, a content company that provides an API to BetBeaver, where basically every time you click in a parlay, it sends an API call to a third-party company, says, what, what's the price on this? And then the price comes back and then they display it in the front, end, right? So that's, I think, a rough model for how, as a better, you should think about what's going on behind the scenes. And then it's likely that the content provider is probably using some kind of simulation model to come up with that price. And, and so basically what they're doing is they've simulated the game you know, a million times, and then they have all of the legs, all, all of the markets that they offer, you know, for their product, they basically, for every simulation, it's a yes or a no. 
did this go over 47 and a half points in the simulation? Yes. Did it go over 57 and a half points in the simulation? No. Did so-and-so get more than this yards? Yes. No. Right. So then for every simulation, they basically have a, a, a list of yeses or nos for that simulation. And then to price it, they just count how many simulations are all yeses for your parlay, right? So I think it's fair to assume I've seen, again, I've seen a number of companies basically say that's their approach. And there's edge cases, right? So, so to answer the question, how would you attack this? I would look for the edge cases, right? Because this is a simulation model. That means, you know, it's easy to simulate or it's relatively easy to simulate a game that goes according to script. Right. If such and such a team is up by seven points, you know, they get a 14 point lead. The other team comes back. They score a touchdown. Now it's tied. Now they kick a field goal. That's a normal game. Right. So I would expect whatever QA they've done on the pricing to be focused on that type of game. Right. So then what what are you looking for? Well, you're looking for the games that don't go according to script. What happens if the team that's a, a 10 point underdog gets out to a two touchdown lead? Right. What if they win the first half by two touchdowns? Well, you can click that in as a leg and you could say, okay, underdog team wins the first half by, you know, 13 and a half points or more, right? Plus whatever, right? But now it's, it's not just that you're getting plus on that number. You've now completely removed all of the normal game script scenarios from the model. You're now only looking at the portion of the simulations that apply to your edge case right and now you can probe to see if they've done reasonable well what happens in that game well certain players play more certain players play less you know the running back that runs it up the middle on first and second down probably isn't going to get as many carries in the second half if they're down two touchdowns right like you know where the pregame line had that guy getting you know 18 carries because the game script was they were supposed to be ahead most of well they ain't ahead so he's not going to get the carries, right? So I would look at all the player props that have to do with that guy. Okay, if the if the if the team that's you know plus ten is winning the first half by two touchdowns, look at the look at that running back. Look at his carries props. Look at his yards props. Look at his touchdown props. You know, on, on those situations, that's the logic, right? And obviously, you could go on for hours and hours about things you could probe in that style. But that's where I would look. I would look for kind of the edges that we call them in DFS. I called it the event, the event universe, right? Like you have to think about the, the reason why this case, cause this was my introduction to sports was in DFS and specifically in the, in the GPPs. And the whole way you have to think about GPPs is no, let's not think about what the most likely thing to happen is. Let's think about all of the weird, but possible outcomes. Right. And, and we want to, and my, like how I conceived of how you win at GPPs and DFS is you want to grab as much of that, event space as possible with your if you've got 150 lineups the goal of your 150 lineups is to cover absolutely as much of this like n-dimensional event space as possible with those lineups right and and it's the same idea with the gpps you want to you want to probe all the event space that probably isn't modeled very well okay so the last thing i wanted to kind of cover that you talk about in the book is is ways for betters to have that longevity to uh at these modern sports books or i know it's not possible if you're winning eventually you'll get the boot but right um but my my, my favorite quote my favorite quote in the book i'm gonna uh, read it it's uh quote if you've done all this right then one day you'll be watching the conference championship game completely comp travel and all 
from your favorite sports books corporate suite, and your host will slap you on the back and introduce you to the CEO by saying, "This is the luckiest asshole I've ever met." How do we how do we get there? Right. So I would say, and, and this is kind of I was hoping this would be an aha moment in the book. So first of all, it's not easy to get there. Very not, um, because the the problem is that sports books know all this stuff is vulnerable. They know all of it's vulnerable. So if you bet this stuff and you win, they're going to assume you have an angle, right? So, so you have to go to the, to the bets where they feel the safest on. And what are those? Those are the game day market made point spreads. You know, that's Sunday morning NFL and Saturday morning college football, right? And NBA point spreads and totals, you know, couple hours before the game right and you bet those you bet that stuff you parlay it all together money lines and you know that's and 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 the sports book says you can't possibly be winning on that stuff that's the thought process nobody beats this you can't possibly be winning so maybe you aren't winning but maybe you aren't losing maybe you're good enough at it that you can kind of break even on that stuff you pick and choose you find, you know, the stuff you break even, maybe you lose it half a percent, you know, again, the holds 4%, maybe you lose it half a percent on it, right? You bet that stuff and then, and then you jam in all, all this, you know, you basically flood your, your betting tickets with, with that sure. stuff that they feel safe on. And then, and then you, and then you get the high ed stuff, you pick, you sprinkle in the high ed stuff and you get a huge, I mean, some of this stuff, there's huge edges. I mean, some of the live stuff, I could just tell you, there's massive, like multiple double digit edges on a lot of the live stuff, right? So you get your 10, 10 times the volume at minus half a percent, and then you jam in a little bit at plus 20%, you know, and, and, and overall, what does it look like? It's, it's positive by a couple percent overall. And it looks like, you're mostly jamming in, you know, parlays you can't possibly be winning on. From my experience, the people I know who have actually had substantial rope with the the legal books, that's kind of been roughly that approach. It's interesting, the perspective of kind of like saying, okay, if I was a sports book, what would I be looking for? How can I make it impossible for them to, to see what I'm actually doing? How can I obfuscate yeah, it's, I mean, you know, all of the, the, I keep coming back to that, all the sports betting stories I hear where it's like the big, the big coups, the big, it, it, it's, it's, it's more about hiding. It's, it's more about hiding what you bet than, than anything else, right? That's, to me, that's, you know, and this is true in all gambling I mean, it's true in poker. I mean, you know, the people that win big at poker, they often, there's misdirection and, why they're winning is people are confused. Why is this guy winning? I mean, I, I remember so many forum posts back in the day. I remember Derb. There was a forum post. This is 20 years old, but there's, you know, doesn't ever run bad was Derb. And they were talking about this guy and he just played poker in a different but better way than anyone understood. And everyone thought he was a donkey. <laughs> he just wasn't, you know, and it's, it, it's, that's, the, that's where people really win at gambling is when you, when you behave in a way that others think can't possibly be sharp and yet is. I've, I have one last question for you, Ed. It, one of the things I think you touch on a little bit is just the, the data providers. 
and we you sort of talk about some inefficiencies there. Do you think from a business perspective, there is an opportunity to be a better data provider now, given the amount of uh, value that good data has? I am going to tiptoe on this one. <laughs> um, there is, uh, it, there are, it's, it's hard to break into that business. There are people who have signed deals, exclusive deals, legal, the, the, there's a lot of, um, it, it is in theory, a, a, a great business, you know, and, and to be fair, we, we sort of at huddle, you know, our focus was on, on so, so the idea here is that the, that the game data, like, um, you know, the, the football data that comes through and, you know, like the NFL data or whatever, right? Well, like what happened on the play? So-and-so ran up the middle for three yards, blah, blah, blah. Right. So, so that data basically gets distributed to sports books and to provider companies like ours um, via a, 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 an official data provider. And, and the thing is that there's some data that's, that those feeds are great for some things and not for other things. And so Jeff's question is, well, is there a business opportunity for being the person who fills in the blanks on that? And my answer is, I, I think it's hard to make that a business. And it has to do with the sort of limitations about the, it has to do with peculiarities about the way the actual industry and business works. That's that's my answer to that question. I think it would be hard to break into that business because you'd run into, um, you 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 you'd find it hard to find buyers for your data. You'd find, ironically, even though it's valuable, you'd find it hard to find people willing to pay you for it, and you'd find it. Uh, hard if you provided a valuable service not to get harassed by other, you know, if you're going to get a, you know, someone's going to say, actually, I own the legal rights to this, you know, that's that sort of thing. So I think it's a, I think it's a tough business. Got it. Well, Ed, thank you for joining us. The book is fascinating. I powered through a bunch of it uh, this morning in prep for this and obviously look forward to reading it. What What is it called for everyone? So the book's called Interception, The Secrets of Modern Sports Better. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. And uh, obviously, always great to have you on. Absolutely. Thank you all. So that was our interview with uh, Ed Miller. And um, fascinating. Uh, the book is fascinating. I, I think the thing that is really interesting is just this way of how you attack this and where there's likely to be inefficiencies, whereas... Um, in these more liquid markets, trying to bet them is, you know, he basically says like, don't bet them. And I actually, one of the things I was wondering is like, he was saying, unless you have a model already that, you know, kind of works and like you evolve it and that kind of thing over time, did the book change your mind in anything? Was there, was there one thing that made you, that you really changed your mind because of the book? No, I mean, first off, I'll say, I, I think the magic of the book is just the, you can sort of see the thought process there the way Ed and Matt sort of see the industry and and think about attacking things. And I think that, I mean, that is the most valuable thing of the book. What, what I guess changed my mind was the most was just understanding how many different components there are that have to come together to make a sports book work, which is kind of the beginning of the book. They, they run through that. And as someone who's never worked for a book, I haven't seen this up close and personal. And it's that there's so many different companies with different software that, you know, may or may not be compatible with this. And apparently then you have to have, you know, these two companies that are competitors and yet they have to, you're trying to bring in both of their feeds and, and trying to make them compatible. And so if there's all sorts of, I mean, as they said, it's like a miracle that 
that it works like the way it does, but it makes it seem so, so difficult to properly do profiling and to, well, in essence, be able to take big bets from people on, on all sports when there are so many vulnerabilities that the sports book itself can't address because of, because it's a third party or, you know, like Ed mentioned that in their, you know, the huddle deck prism, their model, they have little dial, they have dials for their trader to turn, but you don't really, the books don't, I mean, if, if you're, if you're a book using a third party content provider that has weaknesses, you, it's not like you can say, Hey, like, I want to adjust this model. You kind of, you're kind of screwed. You're kind of like, well, I guess I got to just limit somebody. Yeah. And I mean, I think, I think the idea that the, the books, the story he told about the in-game model and then this, you know, second half and, and whatnot, it just shows that they are limited in their ability to make adjustments on some of these things. Cause they're so automated meaning like they may know that that model is not good, but they have no ability to actually change it based on the discovery of the second half. And so in, in the sort of chapter on, on longevity, one of the quick ways to, to get your account restricted is to essentially annoy, piss off a trader. And I think if you're betting into something and, and they're looking at being like, well, shit, this is, I can't do anything about it. Like, and my boss is going to yell at me, then yeah, they're going to hit the nuke button on you. And so I think, I think a lot of it was, the book, the second half of the book was kind of like the art of adapting to the rules of the modern sports book, playing and then sort of succeeding within that environment. How many people from the DFS world are now in sports betting? I think a good number. I think because the, the skills, the skills for DFS, I think translate better than the skills for poker. It's almost like this evolution or continuum, right? That like it, one end is poker, then DFS, and then sports betting on the far end. But I think like like Ed drew the parallel with the same game parlays and GPPs and DFS, which makes all the sense in the world, right? You're not you're not you don't really care about the the mean outcome. You care about these edge case scenarios and what happens in those. Yeah, makes sense. Do you have any picks for this week? My pick last week was the was the Rams, I believe, and that did not do well. Do you because of uh I don't did you see that did you see the end of the get that game? I didn't I didn't really didn't watch much football last weekend. You were celebrating your birthday. I, I had my family in town or my brother and sister. It was glorious. Like, it was a wonderful weekend, Jeff. Like I cannot imagine. I, I literally on, on Sunday. Sunday at lunch, I literally like was crying out of like, out of just happiness, just like the love in my life. And just the, I don't know, just one of those moments where I had a lot of feelings that just felt really thankful for, for what I have in my life. So it was, and one of those things I didn't have was watching football. Got it. Well, maybe there's a correlation there. The less, the fewer football you watch, the happier you are. Yeah. But I also didn't win money either. So what uh what what is your pick of the week it so, sounds like you didn't run the nfl so uh, yeah. you're gonna give, um, give us a give us uh, a college pick we're gonna go syracuse plus three against virginia tech interesting virginia tech is a darling that is starting to play much better so that probably if this had happened at the beginning of the year syracuse probably would have been favored in that game right 
Um, I think they would certainly have been less than a three-point dog. Fewer than a three-point dog? Fewer dogs than three. They, they would uh, own fewer than three dogs. I mean, I, but but still, my no prior line is only Virginia Tech minus one. Got it. I'm going to take an NFL game. I am getting decimated on the Tony Kornheiser show this this week, um, this year. I The only game I won was Ohio State minus four and a half. I had that um, Tennessee lot game, which looked pretty good in the first half, plus the nine Alabama. and a half. Yeah. They were 13 at the half, and I was like, I took plus nine and a half. I asked Tom later, I was like, did Tennessee cover? And he was like, no, they lost by like. 17 it's like no they lost by 14 but they actually had a chance to backdoor cover it and yeah anyways i'm gonna still be stubborn i'm gonna be in the nfl and i'm gonna take new orleans saints plus the one and a half over the colts for some reason our model keeps picking the saints so who knows why maybe it has the same little flaw the line of code that's in mind that says if team equals saints that does yours have that too? I, I'm afraid it's somewhere. I just can't find it. All right. Well, thanks for joining us this week, guys. And we'll talk to you guys all again next week. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems like they don't get it. Puppet teaser, but the engine's running off a leaded. None of it's organic. It all sounds synthetic. That's why I fucks with Jeff Ma and his dog Rufus. No locks of the year. They just tell you what their truth is. Maybe make your pockets fatter as the bookies get thinner. Give the information, turn and lose it Betters into winners, yeah. Sam Hahn, rapping rockers. Jeff Ma, Rufus Peabody, crunching all the numbers. Massy Peabody rankings. We'll, 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 we're looking for the edge. Analytically driven, crunching all the numbers.